Hi, this is Francisco Indoor of the Cleveland Indians, and you're listening to Smoke Signal, hosted by Tony and Jim and the Talking Tribe. Good evening. Welcome to Smoke Signals. I'm your host, Jim Pete, joined as always by Tony Lastoria. It's April Fool's Day, and I suppose we could have planned an elaborate joke uh, by telling you that the Indians are rained out tonight and there's not going to be a game on day two of the season, but that's not an elaborate joke. We waited all day long and they called the game. At least they called the game early, uh, so we'll be treated tomorrow to. Uh, Oakland's first day-night doubleheader, their first rainout since 1998, and of course it happens nice. when the Cleveland Indians are playing them. So we've got the game at 3, 3.30 tomorrow, uh, Corey Kluber will be pitching, and then we have the game uh, tomorrow night, 9.30. Uh, we're going to go ahead with our show, uh, regular time. Uh, I, the time's going to vary between 9 and 10 o'clock, but Tuesday night after 9 o'clock is when you're going to find this show. Uh, every week, and we're, we're bound and determined to make sure you get to see it every Tuesday night, uh, of course, other than special shows in case there's signings or whatnot, but uh, make sure you tune into the uh, IndiansBaseballInsider.com. We'll always have something going on there, and uh, for those of you that are listening uh, via podcast right now, uh, every Tuesday you can check out the site, click on the link, and you can see, you'll be able to see uh, the Google Hangouts uh, screen right there. Uh, or, of course, you can click any of the links. Uh, you can download us on iTunes as an, I, as an iPod, as an, uh, uh, podcast. You can also go right to SoundCloud uh, the next day, unless, of course, we do a two-and-a-half-hour podcast, in which case uh, that may not show up. So no more two hours. Uh, or you can, of course, um, uh, watch us live on the YouTube channel that's listed, uh, or just watch us live right on IndiansBaseballInsider.com, which is what I recommend because you can. While you can't call us in as of yet, uh, you can certainly ask us questions on site or via Twitter. Uh, you can reach me at at uh, Jim underscore IBI, and you can of course uh, reach Tony at at Tony IBI. Uh, Tony, you had a long couple of days. Uh, you're about to actually head down this way for Carolina, but uh, it's only been a day, but. Uh, Little waterlogged there in Ohio, huh? Yeah, yeah. No, we actually have a nice day out today. But I've been I've been kind of drying myself off. Had a little bit of a home emergency, so yeah, you know, it's just the way things work somehow. Isn't it funny how when you have to you have all these all this stuff planned, seizing, getting going, all these plans you got, and you know trying to get out of town, and something kind of throws a monkey in the wrench. If I guess <laughs> if you want to say it that way. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, it I, I guess it kind of comes with a territory, Tony, being uh, Cleveland Indians fans. But, you know, the good news is, is I guess we're kind of used to this stuff by now. But, of course, the Indians get underway uh, last night. We're going to talk about that game, uh, talk about what we saw last night. I don't know. There were many surprises in the game uh, with Justin Masterson pitching. You, we kind of got what we expected, including a very familiar uh, ninth inning uh, kind of uh, heart palpitations uh, as we, we, we are, we're used to with Chris Perez. I don't think that was a surprise from John Axford, but we'll get into that entire game. Uh, some interesting things happened. Uh, we're also going to talk about yesterday, we, we as a site did a roundtable uh, where everybody made their predictions, talked about the Indians as well as the rest of the league, and, and Tony and I are going to get into that in this uh, 
what we are planning on being an abbreviated show, but of course, if you listen to Smoke, Smoke Signals every week, if, we, if it ends before an hour, I will be shocked, but our goal is to uh, get in and out of this one, uh, let the Indians play a, a, a week of games, and, and next week we should have some uh, int intriguing roster movement uh, going forward. Uh, we'll find out uh, the fate of Niger Morgan to see if, if Tony Plush can stick with the team. Uh, he was a start, starting center fielder last night, also uh, led off. Uh, we're also going to uh, find out with Giambi. He should be back in Michael Bourne as well. Uh, and we'll see the roster moves that coincide with them as well as uh, what might or might not be happening with regards to the catcher situation. So next week we're going to have a, a, a not only we're going to have games to talk about, but there should be some interesting roster movements, and we'll have gotten to see uh, the, a full boat of uh, uh, games for this rotation, uh, which should be very interesting uh, to see if, if, if Kluber, McAllister, Salazar, who is slotted at number four, uh, and Carrasco can uh, start the year off strongly in, in, as opposed to what happened last year when that rotation was in disarray through April. It would be nice to see uh, us start off uh, flying out of the gate. But let's jump right into it. Tony, last night uh, the Indians won their home opener. I'm sorry, won their season opener in Oakland, 2 to nothing. It was an interesting game. Um, you know, you wait all day long. Uh, we're on the West Coast, so for some reason they're playing a, a 10 o'clock game on opening day. I guess Major League Baseball's way to stick it to the Indians fans, I guess. Uh, but but it was a, a fun game to watch uh, if you stayed up late enough to watch the game. Of course, it was on until after 1 o'clock uh, West Coast time. Tony, what are your initial thoughts on the game last night? Uh, and... and um, you know, Niger Morgan starts in center field. Uh, does uh, does that give him maybe a, a line in on, on being uh, part of this team? It seems like uh, Francona has a, a lot of trust in him already. Yeah, you know, th he's an interesting guy there because um, I, I still believe that uh, had Bourne been healthy, Morgan probably had to make the team from the from the uh, from the get go. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because it sounds from all intents and purposes that Bourne's going to go on a rehab assignment uh, as soon as Thursday or Friday once uh, Miley season kicks up for Columbus. Uh, and could probably, I would not be surprised if he's back uh, beginning of next week. So it's going to be interesting because there's very few options for them to kind of to, to move. I, you know, Obviously, Chisholm Hall looks like his days are numbered. I mean, like he didn't play last night. You know, righty's on the mound. You know, they started Rayburn, uh, a guy that traditionally is very good against lefties, has his, you know, issues here and there against righties. Um, so you would have thought that would have been a good opportunity to get uh, Chisholm Hall in there as a DH. He wasn't slated to play there tonight. Uh, obviously, with a lefty in the hill, he wasn't going to play. So I'm assuming tomorrow he'll get in there, um, barring, I'm not sure who the A's have going in their second game. But, um, you know, Morgan's kind of found his niche, at least from the get-go, you know, he's a potential leadoff guy, uh, speed, defense, you know, m maybe a, um, a, uh, um, poor man's born or something like that, if you want to look at it that way. You could make a case, you could, you could make a case that he's a, 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 a rich man's born the way Bourne's been playing yeah. late. Well, and you know what? And you know, I was kind of just being devil's advocate about this the other night. Uh, somebody tweeted it, and I said, you know, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. But Nigel Morgan has a higher career batting average than Michael Bourne. 
higher career on base percentage than Michael Bourne, and I think a higher career OPS than Michael Bourne. So it's kind of it's an interesting. Obviously, you know, Bourne gets all the accolades because he's supposedly a good defender, which I still just don't I don't get it. I still don't see it. But um, so it's gonna be interesting to see how that, how he fits in because he's left-handed. You got the trio of Murphy and Brantley and uh, Bourne out there, so it's hard to get him in there. But part of me thinks that they didn't just put him on the roster to DFA this guy after a week when Bourne comes back. So there might be something else in play here, which obviously, you know, it seems like Chisholm might be the odd man out. But what happens when a guy like Giambi comes back? That that might be where a guy like Blake Wood uh, potentially could go down and they, they, get, they go back to a traditional seven-man bullpen. So we'll see. But, yeah, um, Morgan's getting his chance to shine, and he kind of did it last night. Uh, you know, sacrifice fly, sack bunt, which I can't stand those things, and then the uh, walk. So uh, he was kind of a fire starter at the top of the order. Yeah, well, I, you know, it, it was a fun game, and it was, it was good to see uh, Morgan actually. You know, Morgan, the one thing Morgan does bring is he, he brings some playoff experience. Of course, everybody remembers uh, when the Brewers were making their run. Uh, he had some big plays for the Brewers back in the day. Uh, of course, was in Japan last year. Uh, came back, and, and um, you know, it, it's interesting the the guys that Tony or Terry Francona can reach out to, and and he's an intriguing watch because um, he does have. He does have tools that other teams certainly would covet, uh, and and I, I would have to think that Francona is going to do what he can to keep him on this roster, especially considering the fact. And we talked about this, Tony, in a couple of episodes already, uh, with Bourne having those hamstring issues. And and why I I don't necessarily want to say chronic, you know. In in you talk about his defense, and and you know I I really don't care what he's done in his career. What I care about is what he's done since we paid him that massive contract, and he's not been a great defender. Uh, and on top of that, he has in the year he's been here had arguably chronic injuries. Uh, so having a guy like Morgan is is an asset. And uh, you know I I agree. I think that the bullpen's probably where they start with. But I, I do think that this roster is going to be fluid over the next few few weeks until uh, we find something. And, and, you know, who knows? Maybe Bourne has an April like last year. If you remember last year, he did play pretty well in April. Uh, if he does, uh, perhaps this Niger Morgan question is less than a question, uh, and we end up uh, releasing him. But, uh, you know, I, it's it's an interesting thing nonetheless. I, I, another guy last night, um, obviously, uh, that we've talked about a lot this offseason because of, uh, of course, Chris Perez was, was given his, was DFA'd sent away and he uh, landed with the Dodgers but of course in his stead we signed John Axford a former closer from Milwaukee uh, uh, struggled in Milwaukee uh, over the past couple of seasons after his big season uh, three years ago and 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 was traded to St. Louis at the deadline last year and then was was fairly good and we've kind of chuckled at this Tony uh, uh, about this uh, you know St. Louis figured out you know they were he was tipping his pitches and and you know, now he's not tipping his pitches, and he's going to be great again. And of course, um, we were kind of all over this from the start. We, we, the reality of the situation is John Axford, and you made this comparison. I think we did an episode right after we signed him. You comped him to Chris Perez, which I'm sure uh, eased the minds of everybody in Cleveland. But last night really was a microcosm of that. Um, uh, allowed two runners on base, uh, could have. Uh, was in position to lose the game should he have given up a big hit and and there was a part of me that that was flashing back two years ago 
uh, when, when Masterson pitched such a great game and Perez blew it at the end. But, but Axford gets out of it. And the one thing that he showcased yesterday, Tony, that I liked a lot was that curveball. Uh, what did you think of Axford last night? Um, are we going to see more of this type from him at the back end of the bullpen? Is this just kind of what we signed on for? Or was it perhaps just a first-game jitters? And, and um, clearly this guy has some stuff uh, that can make him a wipeout kind of pitcher. Yeah, I think there's no question about it. He has the stuff. He's a, he's a pretty good back-end reliever. And, you know, the closing thing is kind of crazy because you see a guy like last night, like Jim Johnson, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I just think sometimes teams I – mean, Traditionally, of, of late, the best relievers aren't closers, which that's how it should be because you don't want to, you know, pigeonhole a guy to ninth inning duty only, where you have to save this guy for a ninth inning, which may never come when you don't have. You know, it's very hard to have a lead in ninth inning. It means you're pretty close to winning a game, so you got to be like a 90 uh, win team or whatever to have the opportunity to get those guys out there that often. Whereas you got a much better chance of getting of impacting games when you're getting those guys in the sixth, seventh, eighth inning in those important innings so that way you can get to the ninth inning and try to win a game. So that's where I think that, uh, and, you know, I think we've talked about this before and it's been written about numerous times where, you know, a guy like Cody Allen might be a better closer than John Axford, but why? Why would you want to use him in that role when you can use him in the seventh, eighth inning role, like kind of, kind of, kind of like last night? Now, granted, he wasn't very good last night. He, You know, it's amazing. When you think about the game last night, it was basically decided by an inch. I mean, if, Josh, if, if Donaldson hits that ball one inch further, that's a three-run home run, and we, we, we probably lose that game. You know, we don't sure. score two runs. Well, we, 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 even if we scored two runs in ninth inning, that game's over. Or what happens if that if Barton doesn't tag up like an idiot? You know, he, <laughs> you know, go to the main um, uh, go to the main Ramirez school of base running and and try to tag up on a ball that's hit 400 feet in the air. So, yeah, it, it's amazing how that game just totally changed on that play and you know, Cody Allen was involved in that. So, uh, But going back to Axford, you know, this is a guy, it's going to be interesting to see how he does because, um, you know, I don't think anybody's expecting him to light the world on fire. I mean, I know I'm not. I mean, you know, if this guy goes out there and he's just a steady closer, you know, he's going to blow his fair share of games. I'm hoping he doesn't blow more than seven or eight games, but you know he's going to have his games where he doesn't have it. But I think what I like about him more than Perez, I think he's got better stuff than Perez. I know that he's got more velocity. You know, everybody's velocity was down last night. I mean, if you look at those guns, they, I mean, Masterson I think was 88 to 90. Uh, Axford was 93, 94. Uh, some of those other guys that are typically a little more powerful. Or in the low 90s, like Cody Allen, those kind of things. So either it was a cold gun, or just these guys are, you know, it's really in the year, you know, they, they don't have the velocity going yet. But what I liked about it is that, I, mean, I thought Axford's curveball was good last night. I mean, that thing, oh. he, he dropped it in a couple of those babies where the, I was like, wow, that's a nice I, pitch. <laughs> you want to talk about dropping off a table yeah. or 12. Twelve to six. I mean that thing. That thing was starting eye level, and it was it was knee yep. buckling. It was yeah. it was. I mean, opening day too. Let's take that into account. Opening day, he's dropping a Derek Lowe in his prime curveball there. I, I I was nice stuff. Yep. Well, in in he's the last batter of the game. I call him. I'm like here it comes, here it comes. One two pitch. Here comes that curveball, and he didn't have a clue. 
uh, uh, the batter didn't have a clue of it. And then uh, he dropped one earlier um, that also set up another strikeout. So you can see that when he's got his pitches going, he's going to be tough to hit. He's just got to command his zone. I mean, he was, you know, I, I did think that he was um, being a little bit of a, um, I thought he was nibbling a little bit, and that's why you know, he he get ahead in the count, and he was nibbling, and he got three and two a couple times with guys, and then led to the walks. You know, when he went after guys and attacked and was a little more aggressive, he was better. So I'm sure that's something that that they address after the game. You know, maybe he was a little nervous, and you know, he even acknowledged after the game that he wasn't very good. So he's going to be a key guy. I mean, you got to have a guy that's going to be reliable. I mean, he doesn't have to be perfect. And, and all that, but if he can keep those walks down and just throw strikes, I think he's going to do just fine for them. I, yeah, and, and I, you know, the bullpen as a whole, Zepchinski looked a little off. Uh, you mentioned Allen looking a little off. And, and, and I think, again, you got to temper this with the fact that it's April, and, and you know, yep. usually what you see is, is uh, an advantage uh, sometimes for the hitter, sometimes for the pitchers. I've seen some interesting studies on this. But, uh, you know, the, the one guy that looked good, even without the velocity, was Justin Masterson. <laughs> uh, he's been... You know, this is a guy who uh, in the spring was fairly lights out uh, and, and has followed suit, uh, was all over the strike zone last night, uh, fairly efficient. Uh, if, if I've always contended that if Masterson uh, could find that release point, that, that, that repetitive release point, and, and was finding the strike zone, and it looked like he started really doing that last year, uh, this is a guy who could maybe take it to the next level. Um, I and 29 years old for a pitcher is big. You go back to Cliff Lee, and you can see uh, sometimes pitchers take jumps, and you can almost see trajectory-wise Masterson heading there. Um, it's only the first game, Tony, but were you impressed with Masterson yesterday? And are you secretly hoping that uh, two days from now, when the Indians head back to Cleveland, that maybe Kipnis isn't the only guy uh, that might be on the table? Might might you be hoping for a, a perhaps a surprise Masterson signing? I'm I'm afraid Masterson's about to go off. Yeah, see, this is where I don't know. I I, I think the Indians are, are are lunatics for not giving him that deal, that three year, whatever it is, fifty one, fifty, fifty two million, somewhere around fifty million dollars. I think that's a fair deal. Um, very, very, very rarely are they going to have a, a chance to sign a guy that's a one or a number two starter for three years. And I don't, I, mean, I know seventeen million is a pretty big commitment, but you know, I think uh, that's something you have to. I mean, if, you, if they lock him in, they've got like this whole team. All the key pieces are locked in for the next four or five years. So, it. Uh, I don't know. I I, I well, really think he, that he's important. So. Think about that. You you want to think about sustaining in a small market, okay? If you can sign him to a three-year deal on top of his one-year extension, that's four years for Masterson that we have him. And I, I think. You know, looking at our minor league system, and I know we'll have uh, smoke signals, or maybe we'll do a special here in the next couple of weeks where we talk about our minor league system. But uh, you look at our minor league system and the way that it's set up, Tony, and we have this interesting kind of uh, dichotomy with our team right now. We've got a, a veteran group right now uh, that's really going to segue into this group that we have kind of 
uh, pounding on that will will be pounding on the door. So you mentioned this four or five years with this group that we have right now, and and what they'll do is segue right into this next group of players, which will buy time for clearly what the Indians are planning on doing. Uh, you know, with with, with this, these extra picks or trying to stockpile down low. Uh, Really, you know, we've been talking about Windows for so long. I, what's if you really sit back and look at what they could do, and Masterson would be another piece of this. Um, you could see kind of three overlapping scenarios where this Indians team all of a sudden um, builds something for the next ten years. And 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 I I know it's a little early to say that, but uh, Masterson could be a massive cog. You want to talk about a guy that could overlap from one pitching staff to another? Uh, I think uh, an interesting comp for Cody Allen is is. Uh, and Corey Kluber as well as kind of a Justin Masterson kind of guy where you might not have a number one guy, but you have a guy who can give you 200 innings and maybe develop into something. And I, I remember having a conversation uh, eight years ago uh, about uh, Cliff Lee, and, and I remember getting into an argument with a guy because I, I kept seeing, you know, he didn't have the velocity necessarily, but I kept seeing, like it, from the minor leagues up, I kept seeing a guy – who, if he ever figured it out, if he ever got his head right, uh, was a guy who could take it to the next step. Now, no way that I think he was going to go 21 and three and win the Cy Young, um, but I keep looking at Masterson, and I don't know that he's going to go 21 and three. I don't know that he's got that kind of stuff. But you, you might be looking, Tony, at a guy over the next three years in his prime who could be an, a 17 or 18 win guy, and at 17 mil per. Um, you know, somewhere else he's going to make a lot more than that. And I know this year is one of those bridge years, but I'm really concerned about that. I mean, do you think do you think it's possible that they could? And we talked a little bit about this on Sunday night, but I, you know, after watching him last night, I know it's a one game situation, but boy, that that had to be that had to say something to the front office. I mean, is there a scenario in which they could sign him? And, and let's be real about this. Both sides said they weren't going to talk during the season. But I seem to recall Travis Hafner saying the same thing. Uh, they got a deal done with him. Uh, is this something that the Indians might secretly they're going to they're going to keep working on this, uh, or is is that Jake Westbrook rule in full effect? I mean, are they just going to avoid him? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because I think um, you know I think it'd be a little bit too. I, I, I get why. I mean, look, they they don't have you, you can't pay. Uh, three, four guys on this roster, $15 million a year, $12, 15000000 million a year. I get that. But I, if that's the case, then I really think that they're spending the wrong, the money on the wrong guys that they're giving the $12, 15000000 million to. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I would rather – I know that the starting pitchers don't play 150 games. They they pitch in, uh, you know, 34, 35 starts, whatever. So, so they're sitting and they're not involved – in 125 or so games, you know, they're barely involved in 20% of the games over the course of the year. But I would rather have a, a good number one, number two starter and pay that guy than have a, you know, a middle of the, you know, a middle of the road center fielder like a Michael Bourne or a middle of the road deep uh, first baseman like a Nick Swisher. I, I I just think that there's more value to that starting pitcher because. That starting pitcher may only be going once every five days, but they're they're kind of the pace setters in a lot of ways. Those guys, you know, dictate you know how, how the bullpen's going to do, you know, by by pitching deep in games, setting that up, um, by competing, by you know leading by example, being the leader of the staff, all those things, performing, and then there's so many things that the starting pitcher does, and in fact, when he's in the game, he controls so much. Whereas you know that 
middle of the road center fielder like Michael Bourne might be involved in three plays in the outfield and get four at-bats in the game, whereas that starting pitcher pretty much is in control of that almost an, that entire part of the game when he's in the it's field. It's a fun debate. It's yeah. a fun. It's always a fun debate. Yeah, and I mean, I just I would rather um, I would rather spend money on those kind of guys. I wouldn't go overboard now. I mean, I I, I wouldn't get. I mean, you you would obviously in a perfect world you'd want five of those guys in your rotation, but I would still want that anchor. You need that anchor. I don't think you know. Could can Corey Kluber be that anchor? Maybe down the road we'll see. Can Danny Stalzer? We'll see. We kind of know that Mashton is that anchor. And I think part of my problem with this whole thing is is everybody's looking at what he's done in the past, but they're not looking at what he's going to do in the future. I mean, there's always that point where these guys turn a corner. You know, uh, you know Cliff Lee, when, when he was a disaster in 2007, you know, and the Indians, uh, you know, came up to him and, and, would, and if they would have offered him an extension, they'd have been nuts, obviously. But sometimes you got to look um, at what's going to happen, and all of a sudden, boom, it clicked for him, and he went bonkers in 08, 09. So I think that Masterson is on the verge of finally putting it together consistently. Look, two of the last three years, he's been pretty darn good. He had that one tough year in uh, 2012 where he had. And really, I mean, he had some good outings in that season too. But he was, you know, he had some pretty Inconsistent. bad ones. Inconsistent. Yeah. He, well, was, he he would have stretches of two or three games where he looked pretty good, and then he would have yeah. stretches where he would be. You know, the fun thing, if you go through some of his bad games that season, um, yeah. he had he didn't really have bad games. He would have bad innings, and I mean bad innings where he would be going pretty well, and then give up four. And and those that seemed to be the pattern throughout that year, and he just never could get over the hump. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm actually gonna see if I can pull up his game log from that year real quick. But yeah, I mean, this is a guy that I think he's on the verge of of becoming that consistent. You know, me, he's probably not an ace. He's probably not a you know a Verlander kind of guy. I mean, a few guys are, you know, but he is probably. I don't I don't see why he can't be like an Anibal Sanchez or. Um, you know, uh, a Buckholz or, or or those kind of guys. You know, um, I, I don't see. I mean, he's not up in that elite, but he's a step down, and he's definitely one of the top twenty, twenty-five starters. I think in the game. Well, and you know, I think Tony, that's, this is the that's thing. worthwhile. I, Pitching wins. Yeah. Well, I I see, and this is this is this is the 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 dance that kind of frustrates me with the Indians because. You know, I 17 mil a year, seven or eight years ago, uh, was the going rate for a guy like Sabathia. They couldn't afford because obviously that was the going rate for the top pitchers, uh, 17 to 20. And and now, you know, the going rate for solid pitchers are 22 to 25 million. And 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 you can get a guy like Masterson at 17, which may be an overpay. But see, here's the, the when you're a risk aversion type team like the Indians have been, especially with starting pitching, and when you're looking for value, sometimes you have to take a gamble. Um, it's why people got mad about the Casimir deal when Casimir went to Oakland. It's why I think people got mad about Yabaldo Jimenez because uh, potentially, uh, when you sign a guy for twelve, thirteen million dollars, and he's got the potential to be better than that, that's what people I think are getting frustrated. It's trying to figure out if you're not going to sign a guy. At 17 million, who could be worth much more than that? Then who are you going to sign? So I think, I think that's the thing. 
it sounds to me like the front office buys in on Masterson. What really impresses me about Masterson, aside from everything that you've mentioned, and, and, and again, this is a guy, when he's on, is, is unhittable. I, 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 and this is the funny thing, because a lot of people say he doesn't have ace-like stuff, but there are, there are times when he can't be touched. Besides that, though, um, I was reading an article earlier this year, Tony, and I can't remember if it was on site or if it was somebody else, and, and what struck me is uh, they talked to Corey Kluber and they talked to Danny Salazar in that piece, and they asked uh, they asked them like what, what their kind of stabilizing force has been. Or was it Mickey Calloway? Was it somebody else? And uh, both pointed right over to, to Justin Masterson and said, "That guy right there. Uh, you've got a guy who works his tail off, and, and and at the very least is is a number two, a stabilizing force for the bullpen. And I think the funny thing about last year, and a lot of people give Mickey Calloway credit, but the funny thing last year is you can point to several starts by Justin Masterson during a stretch where the Indians had lost somebody or were facing a tough team, where Masterson came out and righted the ship. And that's the definition of a stopper. So he may not be an ace, but he certainly was a stopper for the Indians last year. And whether or not he was winning ball games, um, he was there to right the ship throughout the entire year. And think about it. Yes, Ubaldo Jimenez was phenomenal from mid, mid-August on. But up to that point... You had a, lots of pitchers kind of stepping up in the middle of that, but the one guy who was constant from April 1st all the way up until he got hurt, Justin Masterson. Would they have won last year without him? Not a chance. So why risk losing him? That's the thing. So they must really buy into some of these other guys because, or they must plan on going out and getting somebody or hoping for the best because I, I don't – see, that's what I'm worried about. You have question marks, and you mentioned the question marks on Sunday. They have too many question marks. They're taking away the one guy yeah. who's not a question mark, and that's the mistake. Yeah, and, and you know, I was looking at his numbers really quickly and from 2012 when he kind of was inconsistent. And you look at his numbers that year, he had some good games. And 22 out of his 34 starts, he gave up two runs or less. Um, so that was just what he did in those other 12 starts. Um, he gave up two runs or less in 22 of those starts, but in those other 12... In nine of them, he gave up six runs or more. In and see, eight of them, he gave up eight Nobody remembers runs that. or more. Eight, eight games, he gave up eight runs or more in eight games. That's why he's, his numbers are so awful that year because when he was bad, he was bad. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it, I mean, obviously you want to see consistently. He just had, he just had a bad year. And I, I think that, um, I don't know, I, I just think that, Sometimes you gotta think about what a guy's gonna be. I think this is a guy that's turning the corner. It's gonna be one of the, you know, uh, in the mold of a James Shields and those kind of guys that maybe aren't, you know, elite upper tier guys, you know, top ten pitchers, but are, are in that are in that very next uh, conversation. Those guys below that, and I just think, you know, if you have him and you can mix in Kluber and Salazar and McAllister um, as your front four for the next four years. I'm excited. I, I'm I, I'm a believer if they if they're healthy that they're going to be competitive every year because that's the name of the game: starting pitching. I just don't see how you can afford to keep losing very good starting pitchers and not and not have it come back to bite you. And we saw it when they had to let, when they had to leave um, when uh, Sabathia and Lee had to be traded. I mean, in the old days, those two would have been part of this team for the next 15 years. They'd still be here right now. 
both of those guys would be anchoring a rotation right now. You know, it's like Bob Feller and uh, you know uh, um, uh, Mike Garcia or something, or, or Bob Lemon or somebody like that. Uh, imagine those guys having a good five or six years, but then they got too expensive and the Indians had to trade them because they couldn't sign them. You know, Bob Feller goes on to pitch for the Yankees. You know, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. But you know, now and then we see all we've seen in the last couple of years. We saw it this year. Uh, they couldn't keep uh, Jimenez and Casimir. There's reasons that are, you know, there are reasons behind that, which I can understand or whatever. But a guy like Mastin, to me, is somebody you want to keep. He wants to be here. He wants to be here. Uh, he likes to hear, and uh, the manager loves him. I think, I still just think ultimately, it's there's too many things in play here that makes this where if it doesn't happen, it's a it's a significant disappointment for all parties involved, fans, ownership, player, front office, everybody. I just think that that he's a, he's he's one of the best fits they've had in a while, and a guy willing to take uh, you know a three year deal to stay here. And I think it'd be a mistake to let him, to let him go. Yeah. Well, I you know it's as we as as we as this season winds winds through as many turns as we'll see. I, it'll be curious to see how he pitches for one and if he does take that next step. And Imagine you know, it's funny how, break, you know, imagine yeah. for a second if at the All-Star break he's having a uh, Max Scherzer a Max Scherzer kind of year. Forget about that 351. Uh, now it's 650. Well, I you know, I he, <laughs> it's won't. not and it's not out of the question. I mean, again, you know, I'm not trying to overemphasize, you know, his stuff, but I there have been starts, and and I remember having a conversation on this very show last year after a couple of his starts, uh, where he was unhittable. I mean, he he gave up some squibs. Uh, I he has those moments, and and like you said, it, you, you you tend to remember games where he gives up eight plus in it, it runs, um, but he did have several good games in 2012, and you can't pick and choose. But my point here is is uh, you know, there's a lot of good to, to, to Matt Masterson, and you can argue the 17 mil per until you're blue in the face, but at the end of the day, if they're not going to gamble on a guy like Masterson, and we already know they're not going to gamble on a guy like Hasmir, and we already know they're not going to gamble on a guy like Ivaldo Jimenez, then the flip side of that coin better be to sign the young guys. Uh, so hopefully we'll see one or the other, because... Starting pitching is where it's at. We found that out the hard way over the past six years since 2007. Uh, hopefully uh, the, that mode of, of this team will change. Because I'll tell you one thing. Terry Francona wants him. So maybe we'll see that maybe be the teetering point uh, by the All-Star break. But that's, a, that's, a, that's funny. I mean, if you think back to when Cliff Lee had that big year, um, I believe he started the All-Star game that year. And granted, he had an extra year on that contract. But if Masterson's anywhere near starting that game, <laughs> See you later. Well, I mean, I guess I guess we got the qualifying offer, but that's that's for another day. I don't want to get into that. Yeah. Let's talk Michael Brantley right quick. Uh, two for four last night. Again, it's early. Um, I, the one thing that struck me last year about Michael Brantley uh, was the IQ piece. Uh, obviously, uh, the way he attacked pitchers at the tail end of last year was was phenomenal. It, it, his his ability to understand what a pitcher was going to throw in the clutch. Uh, he attacked first pitch strikes. As, uh, my uh, cohort, Michael Hattery, has mentioned several times uh, in the clutch. Uh, he he knew when a guy was going to throw a fastball and just jumped all over it. 
Uh, he has had an incredible spring and carried over last night, two for four. You know, I, I'm not jumping on board the Jake Dungan train here, Tony, uh, of, of – you know, hitting, leading the league in hitting, but it really, it really, he he really has turned a corner, hasn't he? I mean, this this is a guy who who understands what to do with a bat. He always has, but uh, he this is where I think this is where we're going to see Michael Brantley over the next three three or four years, and uh, this really is what the Indians were buying into, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that um, you know, it's consummate professional. This is a guy that they absolutely love, and and I don't think he's going to be. Um, Threatening for a batting title anytime soon. I don't think there's, I don't think there's any pedigree or anything like that there as a hitter in the minors or as so far in the majors for him to just all of a sudden become a 350 hitter. You never know. But I think he's definitely a guy that, um, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna hit 300 at some point. I definitely believe that. I think he, uh, he's. It's gonna be interesting to see how he does because it looks like they're gonna keep him in that fifth spot. And he's not the traditional kind of number five hitter. I mean, you know, he's not going to yank out 25, 30 home runs. So, but what you're going to get out of him is some pretty darn good at bats. A guy that uh, is going to put the ball in play, and um, hopefully pile up a lot of doubles. Um, so maybe he can still be a good, good run producer there, especially if he continues to hit hit well in the clutch, and not you know and. Uh, you know, geez, what, 390 something last year of runners in scoring position? I mean, even if he hit just 300 still this year, it's that's that's pretty impressive. I do think he's going to take that step forward and become, you know, that consistent uh, bat that just puts the ball in play and makes things happen in that regard. You know, he, he's a key cog to this lineup because they don't really have very many guys like him, guys that limit strikeouts. Uh, that are patient, that are not afraid to hit with two strikes, uh, and just go up there and battle. And and you know, this guy, I mean, the Indians have. I I really like what they've done in the off season, uh, extending Brantley and Gomes, potentially Kipnis coming up, coming down the pipe here in a couple days. You know, these are deals that, you know, it wasn't a pressing need where these guys are going to be a free agent anytime soon. What it does is it just extends their, their their lifespan with the organization for longer than anticipated, and gives us a, gives us a chance to maybe find some other players added to that core. So, I'm I, I, you know, Bourne is just a guy that goes out there and he's almost like a machine. He just you know puts his bat out there and finds a hole. You know, he reminds me um, a player there an assistant that reminds me a ton of Michael Bourne is a guy like Jordan Smith who's going to be playing for the Akron Rubber Ducks this year. Yeah. Uh, almost the same yeah. kind of player. Uh, bigger guy, where eventually yeah. if he kind of figures himself out, I think he's going to hit for some decent home runs. But uh, just, just same kind of guy. Unbelievable, unbelievable professional. Very good defender. Good arm. Excellent bat. This snap, but the one thing that people always get on is the power, which you know maybe people are just being a little bit too picky. But getting back to Brantley, I mean, this is this is a guy that is going to be he's going to be key because uh, Santana is going to be hitting in front of him, and uh, you know teams may be less inclined to pitch around Santana, even though Brantley isn't you know your big power you know Prince Fielder type from the left side that's going to threaten the team. Pe teams do know that he's going to put up one hell of a tenacious quality at bat, and he's going to be a tough out. So maybe teams will be less inclined to pitch around you know Kipnis and Santana. 
Uh, that's what I love. That's the one part about that five spot that I love. The great thing about Brantley is um, we talked about Eucalyptus on uh, the way that that Francona utilized a guy like Kevin Eucalyptus for the for the Red Sox over his tenure there. Um, Brantley's that guy for him. I mean, in Eucalyptus, you had a guy who just got on base. Uh, and and Brantley is a similar type guy. And the neat thing about Brantley is he literally can bat anywhere in the lineup if you need him to. Uh, so you know we talked yeah. about Niger Morgan. I think the thing that makes a guy like Morgan expendable, uh, especially when you have a guy like Giambi coming back and the weight that uh, Francona puts on him on that bench, uh, is the fact that Brantley can really do all the things that Niger Morgan can do if they if they need him to. What's interesting about it though is is you know when when Bourne initially went on the DL, my thought was immediately that that Brantley moves up to number one. Uh, Morgan stays up for a week and, and then Brantley slides back down to five. Uh, here they wanted to keep him in the five slot. So maybe we've seen uh, uh, where Terry Francona last year kind of played around with the lineup. Uh, maybe we're going to see a little less of that this year and maybe Brantley has his home in, in the five slot. Maybe he's just keeping that slot warm for a guy like Jan Gomes who batted ninth as, as you talked about on Sunday. Uh, this lineup is interesting. Uh, Jan Gomes batting ninth. Brantley batting fifth, a good solid core up the fr in the front of this this lineup. Uh, you know, if if these guys start to really come together, and, and I, you know, you got to see David Murphy. I think um, for what he is yesterday, you know, he struggled through much of that game offensively and um, came through at the end. You know, and that's 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 really the kind of guy that he is. You know, he had two Ks, and and you're going to get that with him. But you know, again. Uh, you know, came through when they needed him to. Uh, you know, my I big watch. Twitter, dude. I love it. Yeah, I love oh, yeah. I, I can't believe you should have seen my timeline, man. People, I mean, <laughs> this guy has one, two, three at bats, and they're already calling him Aaron Cunningham and this day. Uh, I, I just, I love it. I love, I, you know, I love how people well, react. Well, you know, I, I got an email today from somebody who's a fairly regular poster on site. I'm not going to say who, uh, who said that Jason Kipnis should be cut. And was not April fooling me. I, I sent him an email back saying this is an April Fool's right, and he was say he said no. I'm sick of Jason Kipnis. So, I guess if you want to get rid of our first or second best offensive player, feel free. That's why you're not the GM, yeah. and Chris Antonetti still is. It is amazing. But I, you know, think about how it's amazing how some fans, you know, we all we all latch on to the to our own players that we like, and the ones that we hate, we dislike, and. <laughs> It varies from person to person. It's funny how that works. There's certain things that it affects people differently. Um, where, where, where we endear ourselves to go, or guys endear themselves to us more than I, other people, and the other guys we I just get, can't freaking stand. Oh yeah, I get it. I get it. I mean, I, a guy like Kipnis has a lot of expectations that come along with it. You know, when you when you uh, when you make a debut in AAA and your debuts during uh, the playoffs and you hit for the cycle and hit like 480 and uh, you know have four home runs and during that one stretch had that big kind of tail end and then make it to the big leagues halfway through the next year you set yourself up for for high expectations. It's funny how people talk about his down year last year when. The, re the reality was he was one of the top three or four second basemen in the entire league, and uh, you can argue was the best player on this team last year from beginning to end, and, and may have yeah. had the biggest month, uh, player of the month in June. So the funny thing is, is those months, Tony, uh, sometimes work against him because people then expect him to have, you know, uh, a 1,000 OPS and and expect him to, you know, be that guy from month to month. And I think we're going to see more of that with Kipnis. Uh, but uh, certainly, if he if he ever sustains something like that, then he goes into a whole other pantheon, and we better get him signed uh, yep. sooner rather than later. But um, I, you know, 
so give me a percentage. We don't have to spend a lot of time on Kipnis here, Tony, but give me a percentage on uh, them announcing that Jason Kipnis is going to be with the Indians uh, for the next four or five years. Uh, I got a feeling that you're going to hear something on Thursday. Yeah. You know, I, I would say 70% chance that's, that we're going to find that they're going to get back in town tomorrow night after that double double header they're going to have. Um, and we're going to get the, the old traditional roster movement on, on an off day, which will be interesting because what? So tomorrow's the second, third, so the fourth is the opener. So Giambi and Bourne can't come off until Saturday, right, the fifth. So right. it'll be interesting to see what they have there. But, you know, get Matt Kittness, it would not – I mean, I don't think it would be a surprise if, if we hear something on Thursday. You know, it's just – it's typical. Um, I think they have another off day, like on Monday or something like that. I believe so they do, I, yeah. I would not be surprised if the were over to you – know, maybe they don't want to upstage the home opener. That's why in the past you've seen them when they've extended uh, Isdruba Cabrera and Carlos Santana and Jake Rusbrook, all these guys that did they, – uh, they extended in April – They've always been like a week or two into the season. It's almost like they almost time up the news in that regard. Where hey, let's not announce this over opening day when we've already got everybody paying attention. Let's wait uh, second week of April when no one wants to go to the games. No, one, and half our half our fans kind of fall by the wayside. Let, let's make an yeah. announcement then and bring people at least back a little bit interested for a couple of days. I could see something like that happening. I'm sure. I'm sure that's what they kind of do a lot of times. Well, and then, you know, that that's a big deal. I, you, you wrap up Kipnis, and you're now looking at a core, for sure, of Brantley, Kipnis, um, Santana, and uh, Gomes. And you're right up the middle. And, and, you know, it gives you, I think what people forget about signing deals like that, and, of course, I'm sure they're going to be looking at something that escalates and averages out, like a Carpenter deal at $8 million per. The, the great thing about deal like that is, of course, um, it gives you a tremendous amount of flexibility with the player. And, and should Kipnis not exactly be the guy that they expect, um, it does give them tradeability as well because you have them signed up cost-effectively uh, through a certain point. And I'm, again, I'm not, again, with all these guys, whenever you sign a deal like that, it gives uh, other team, you know, should you need an asset to trade uh, in case you have other assets to fill in. And I, again, just looking at it from all perspectives, but I think I think they're bringing Kipnis in. I think this he's going to remain an Indian uh, for as long as they can get him. Uh, and, of course, precedence with uh, uh, Simmons from the Braves and, and Carpenter from from the from the Cardinals, uh, kind of setting up kind of that that model for what you sign in Kipnis to. And, um you know, I, I, Simmons is a different type of player. Younger guy uh, showcased uh, was a guy that many many people thought uh, was going to be a star and, and broke out last year a shortstop. But uh, Carpenter is an interesting comp. He's an older, I believe he's a year older than than Kipnis and had his first good year last year. Whereas Kipnis has shown flashes for two. Um, I would expect a similar deal to that Carpenter deal. Would you not? Eight, eight, about eight per. I don't remember what it is offhand now. But I'm thinking that uh, uh, Kipnis, you know, it's always tough with these deals because you're you're including, what is it, see, 2011, 12, 13, this is his last year for pre-arbitration. I mean, it's his first year of arbitration, so what, three, five million dollars is his first year. Then it kind of escalates usually about two million dollars every year after that. So if I was just kind of guessing, if they... That they if they extend Kipnis, they're gonna get a buyout. So you gotta assume they're at least gonna buy out one free agent year. 
So you're looking at at least a four-year extension. You know, I'm looking at a five-year, uh, 12, 36. I would, I, I think something along the lines of probably like he'll make, you know, four million next year. You know, and then it goes up to five and a half, six million the next year. Then it goes up. Yeah, well, here, here's here, here's Carpenter's escalation. Like Five years. Yeah, yeah I, Car Carpenter's escalation. He's got. Um, uh, he's making a million this year. This was the deal that he had signed already. Um, and then next year it's three and a half. Then six point two. Then nine point seven. Then thirteen point yeah. five. Then fourteen point five. Then eighteen point five, which is a team option. Uh, then that would be uh, his first uh, year of free agency. Uh, so that I mean, obviously not as many years. Uh, but but but. It would, it would, I would, I would, if five and 40 would be, uh, to me, a bargain. It's amazing. Uh, and if, it, again, if. Did you say 18.5 is last yeah, year? Yeah, that, that is a, that is a team option, though. That is a team option. That's one of those, that's one of those, um, club options that uh, you know full well in advance that they're not going to take. Uh, and it's already got a plug in of a $2 million buyout. Uh, so I'm sure what Carpenter was looking at there was, you know, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take their deal up to 2019, and I'll just be happy with my two million dollar buyout at that point. Cause there's there's I mean this guy's gonna have to go crazy off to make 18.5. There's no way St. Louis takes that. Yeah, the salaries are getting kind of crazy though. You see more guy yeah. more and more guys are getting that 18. It, you know, the, well, I, you know, the top, think, the, the, think the about small this. percentage at the top are getting it, but no one else is getting anything. Yeah, well, I, you know, in Carpenter, you know, you're looking at a guy, and, and you know, make no bones about it. I mean, his rookie year was 2012. Uh, did had a great year. Was was uh, up up there in rookie of the year. I can't remember where he was. Top five, I think. Uh, but I remember he hit near 300. But last year was his first, you know, full game, full full set, full year. And I know he hit. I know he hit 300. Um, and I know he led the league in hits. I remember that. And I think he might have led the league in runs as well. Uh, but but this is a guy who um, had one year. I mean, this guy had one good year. And, and it was a great year, but, you know, this, this model that St. Louis has pressed forward. But uh, one year, and, you you know, you've locked yourself into a six-year deal where at the tail end of that you could get 18.5, and at the very least you're looking at 13.5 or 14.5. and. Yeah. I it's you know it is what it is I this is where you know Tony we could do a whole episode on the finances of baseball and how ridiculous this is yeah. um, that the Indians really are, are kind of put in a position where you have to take flyers on I mean they, the Indians did the same exact thing with Jan Gomes obviously not as much money uh, and this is a guy who a year ago this point last year you and I were um, arguing with just about everybody about how. Jan Gomes was not going to be a factor this year or last year, and and we had every right to just to say that. I mean, this is a guy who played in 88 games and is now locked in through his first year of of, of free agency. It's just God, yeah, the no, nature of the beast. In a year, amazing. I, I I mean, it was the tail end of April, if I remember correctly. I remember there was a piece that went up uh, talking about. Um, oh my gosh, who was our backup catcher? Lou Mars. <laughs> Lou Marson, Lou Marson, and uh, uh, someone had mentioned Jan Gomes being a possible. Uh, it was Jay Wahoo had mentioned uh, Jan Gomes as being a, a guy who could be a factor, and uh, I I remember thinking that he was crazy, and 
<laughs> may have said it. I may have said that actually. Um, little did we know. It's just funny how people can pick their guys, and and sometimes you hit one out of the park. Yep. All right, Tony. Before we uh, we we've. Uh, We've hit yesterday's game pretty much, and we talked about. Uh, I really want to get into that salary piece. Uh, it'll be a, a fun if we can sign Kipnis, uh, wrap up Brantley and Kipnis this year. Uh, Brantley, Kipnis, and Gomes, which is a, a pretty good off season, uh, if you ask me. Uh, but I do want to touch touch base with you about uh, the future of this club. Uh, you know, neither one of us like projecting, uh, and and this is. But this is an interesting year to project because, you know, this is a. Uh, a lot of people could say a typical Cleveland Indians offseason where uh, they didn't really do a whole lot, uh, but you know we did mention the the signings, and and you do know that this is a front office and a management team that think that there's a lot of internal improvement, and there is, of course. Um, you can point to four or five guys last year offensively who didn't do what they could. Um, you know, uh, there's been a lot of speculation about what the Indians are going to do, especially in consideration of the other teams. You know, a lot of movement with Detroit, uh, Minnesota, Kansas City. It, it, it's it, it's one and Chicago for that matter. Uh, the division has had a lot of movement, and the Indians really have it. You can make a case, as you mentioned on Sunday, that the Indians regressed. Uh, what are you thinking this year? I, you know, if you want to check out our records, and if you want to check out who we think the best offensive players are, just uh, head to IndiansBaseballInsider.com, and we've listed it all out. And we've all given our paragraphs about what we thought of for the Indians this year. Um, you know, again, spots in the dark, but you know, it's our it's it's one game in. Uh, we really won't touch upon any projections probably until that forty game mark. So, uh, what do you think? I mean, uh, if there's one guy, and let's focus on the first forty game period. Let's take this a little bit different, Tony. If there's one guy who you think out of the gate can can keep this team, uh, keep the the ship righted, uh, for lack of a better way to say it, is I guess you could say. Um, Reynolds did last year. Uh, who's that guy? I mean, who is the uh, the stabilizing force offensively? And I think we already know who you'd say uh, in that rotation. But if there's one guy who you could point to, Tony, in the beginning of the season, uh, who's going to be that balance piece uh, to this offense? Uh, who do you think that's going to be? Well, I, I think it's going to have to be a guy like Michael Brantley because you've got Kipnis and you've got Santana, who are well, especially Santana. Santana's a pretty good on base guy. So in a lot of ways. Um, Brantley's going to be hitting with guys on base a lot, and especially concerning the fact that guy when Santana hits, he's going to have the likes of uh, Kitness. You know, he's a pretty solid on base guy getting on there as well. So not only, you know, and Santana is is almost ultra patient when guys get on base, where now Brantley all of a sudden is going to be hitting with one or two guys on base a lot. So I think that's he's kind of the glue. I know that Kipnis and Santana are probably the most dynamic bats in this lineup, probably the most important in that regard as far as hitting for power and you know changing the game one swing, that kind of thing, and all the other things they can do. But Brantley, to me, is uh, is just a steady, steady force, and I think he's probably the most, you know, he's almost like, I, I think he's that guy, like you're saying, that... Um, is just going to go out there every night and kind of just be that guy that kind of helps drive them to win. You know, as far as rotation goes, you know, Masterson, obviously, he's that workhorse. But the other guy, though, that I think is going to be really keen this whole thing is Corey Kluber, a guy that um, he has to show that he's for real. I mean, he came out of nowhere. I don't want to say he came out of nowhere because he was a pretty um, 
he's a pretty good prospect when he, when the Indians got him. The Indians always felt all along that he had the best stuff in the system, and he finally put it together. So I think that um, you know he's got he's got this potential, but it's, it's just been unleashing it, which he put it together finally last year, and now can he keep doing it? So it's gonna be interesting to see how he does there. So they've got a lot of different pieces. I think that um, they're not really a team. Out, you know, if you think about it. They're not like the Tigers. You know, Tigers are top heavy. They've got Max, um, Ver, um, not Max Verlander. Boy, am I, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm, I, like please, please don't combine those two. Oh my uh, gosh. Got the thrown from both sides uh, and oh, he's yeah. got enough problems with the Tigers. I've had like, I've had like six hours sleep last three days, but total. But yeah, um, uh, Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. And then, yeah, I guess Animal Sanchez is pretty good. Then you got um, Miguel Cabrera in the lineup. But beyond that, I mean, there's not, you know, they have some significant drop-offs in their lineup, in their rotation, in their bullpen after some of those guys. The Indians are pretty pretty even. If you look at their rotation, it's pretty even rotation. And, you know, obviously it goes down as you get through it, but it's pretty solid and even. You don't have a big spike where you got this big stud and then you have this dud at the end. You know, the Indians, well, the Indians might have a dud in Carrasco. We'll find out. But in the lineup, the Indians are pretty balanced. You know, they've got no studs, but no duds. So they've got a bunch of middle-of-the-order guys. A couple guys are a little bit are, are above that middle-of-the-road kind of guy. And a couple guys maybe are a twinge below the middle of that average guy. But it's really an average lineup from one through nine. And I think that's what is hopefully going to make them be consistent uh, throughout the year and pr maybe put some things together. I still think I, I'm still a little worried that uh, injuries and stuff like that's going to come back and haunt them. But I think I, I really think that they're that they're going to be competitive all year. And if they get the right breaks, I would not be surprised to see them in the playoffs. I just wonder if they're going to get those breaks this year. Well, that's a great question. I, I, you know, there's a guy in my opinion, it's kind of been overlooked. And, and had he have been this guy last year, I think um, I, I don't think we would have needed a 10-game uh, run there at the end. And that's uh, Nick Swisher. And, and, you know, he ended up rebounding and still had a great year. I mean, think about it this way. I mean, here's a guy who really struggled all year long, still had a 340 OBP, still was a 763 OPS guy, uh, but had a down year. Um, if, if To me, Tony, at the number two spot, and he's going to be there, through thick or thin. I mean, if this is a guy who can uh, up that o OBP up to uh, his normal rate, which is um, you know 360, and, and in years prior to Cleveland was up in that 370, 380 range. Uh, if he can do that in this lineup, uh, I think it could be it could really give opportunity to guys like Kiptis and Santana, as you mentioned, and ultimately oh, to a guy like Brantley. Uh, to me, if if switch if Swisher gets it right, it makes whoever's batting leadoff a little less worrisome to me. I, I'm not sold on Bourne. Uh, Morgan actually <laughs> interests me more than Bourne at this point, uh, but hopefully I, I'm not yet ready to give up on Michael Bourne. Uh, he'll be back. He'll be back at some point next week, and uh, hopefully, like I said, last April he seemed to, he. If I remember right, I, I'm pretty sure he started out of the gate pretty well until he got tweaked uh, uh, there at the end of the month. Uh, but but to me, a guy like Swisher could really be a cog in the front end of that order. And I can't, I hate that I, I bring up Kevin Euclid a lot, but uh, Euclid was that number two guy. And Swisher and Euclid have a lot in common. 
uh, minus the fact that, that Swisher strikes out a ton. Uh, but I, I think you could have a scenario, if Swisher has it right this year, uh, that, that he could really be an important cog in the front end of that lineup if he can lock up that number two spot. And then another guy, um, this is a guy I have no buy-in with at all, uh, but but I, if, if, if he is even a, a, a snapshot of what he was, uh, and I don't even... I'm not even going to talk about 2011. I mean, to me, uh, Drupal Cabrera's 2009 season uh, what to me was just a subliminal year. And then he got hurt in 2010, and then came back and got uh, Orlando Cabrera into his head, and he started swinging for the fences. And uh, to me, if 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 Cabrera can can just not be a black hole, and I know he had an okay month in September, but anybody who watched the month of September and saw his at bats. Here was a guy who hit home runs in meaningless innings and struck out with people on base. And if he can just not be that guy, if he can be a guy who just is okay, uh, I think that makes the big difference. That plugs up the two. To me, that plugs up the holes. Um, you know, the DH. We talked last year about the DH possibly being a roving DH, and it didn't really happen this year. Tony, nobody's talking about this, but our DH is finally, I think what Terry Francona wants it to be. We had Rayburn there last night. You know he's not going to be there every night. Uh, when Giambi comes back, he's going to play some time there. I think you're going to see Santana there. You're going to see Gomes there when he's not catching. I mean, I really think that this is one of those lineups that uh, we, we actually talked about the balance last year being a strike against it because they didn't have that one guy. And if you can get a guy like Kipnis and Santana to take the next step, our offense becomes really, really good. I just don't know that that's going to happen. So uh, I think we're going to have a good start to the year. Um, our schedule's not easy, though. Uh, we have uh, once we get into the middle of April, we got some tough games ahead. So um, I, but I won't be ready to give up on them either if we get to mid-May and they're third or fourth because I think this is a team that, that, as they proved last year, they went. I think that had one stretch where they were four and eighteen or four and seventeen. We thought they were done and made it to the wild card. So. It's going to be a fun year, I can tell you that. And hopefully last night's game was an indication. It would be nice if we can get a doubleheader uh, win. But uh, anyways, as we wrap up the show, uh, a couple of things to take note of. Of course, uh, IndiansBaseballInsider.com used to be Indians Prospect Insider, and we still cover the prospects better than anybody else in the business. Uh, today we had the Akron uh, Rubber Ducks piece go up. Uh, of course, Jim uh, Piasek is a guy who's going to be attending all the games this year, and he'll have all the... Uh, notebooks up for, for Akron. Uh, tomorrow we have Lake County. Uh, the day after that I believe my Carolina piece is going to go up. Uh, so make sure you check out the site over the next few days. Uh, of course uh, our staples, uh, you'll see second thoughts up there as well. Two, a double dose, uh, whoever has it tomorrow night. Uh, around the farm will be kicking into high gear starting next week. Uh, so you'll have all of the regular stuff at IBI. Of course uh, all the regular columns, uh, Tony, myself, uh, Steve uh, and all the rest uh, will be up and, and running. Uh, as, as the season's already ready to roll. So uh, our calm season is over. It's time for the IBI's tax season to begin. Uh, so the next time you will see us, uh, we will be talking about a full slate of games. And I checked, Tony. It doesn't look like we have a day off. Uh, I checked all the way up for next Tuesday. Uh, so it looks like we will have a f more than a full slate of games to talk about. Uh, and perhaps next week we can talk a little bit about those minor league uh, minor league teams, especially Akron. A couple extensions. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there. We, we could be talking about uh, wins, losses, extensions, uh, uh, a minor league system that might not be loaded, but you could argue uh, Akron and, and Columbus for the first time in many, many years has some interesting players to talk about, and and then there's Carolina, but I'll get into that on Friday. <laughs> uh, 
You know, it's it's one of those it's one of those scenarios where we're gonna <laughs> we might have to we might have to hour and a half it next week because there's gonna be there could be a lot to talk. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully, there's we, a, we can get. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, we can uh, have a lot to talk about. So, with that being said, I think I've plugged everything I needed to plug. Uh, thanks for joining us on April Fool's Day. Uh, if you see Sid Finch, look out. Guy can throw 169 miles per hour, and he only wears one boot. With that said, we'll see you next week. Go try. Go try.